Hello and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast uh, for our second week. Uh, I'm Sam Hyde. Uh, I'm joined by football expert Toby Friesfair as ever. How are you doing, Toby? Hello, Samuel. I'm very well, thank you. And I hope you are too. It's a pleasure to be talking to you whilst having uh, so much good quality football to be to be still watching every day. What a delight. So it is the round of 16 at the moment. Uh, the main talking point, I suppose, is uh, England beating Senegal uh, 3-0. Uh, what did you make of this, Toby? Yeah, yeah, main talking point for us. Um, I enjoyed the game a lot. Um, and I think lots of credit has to go to Southgate, you know. Um, I, first things first, I like the lineup, And secondly, the, the persisting with the back four, I was happy to see that. I was not concerned, but I thought that it could be realistic that he switches it. Um, just out of pure pragmatism and terror of going out in, in knockout stages. But he didn't. So, you know, credit where it's due, you know. Oh, well, I suppose the question is, do you think that he will stick with the back four going, going forwards? Nobody knows. What do I think? I think he will. I, th- uh, I think he will, but only because the midfield three looked quite nice and played themselves into the ne- into like a bit of an undroppable position. I think every fibre of him would want to have Walker as a right centre-back with Trippier outside as a way of doubling up on Kylian Mbappe. Um, and then he can still keep the same two centre-backs, uh, sort of just, you know, left centre-back and, and centre-back in Maguire and Stones and play Shaw left-back. But I don't think he'll do that because... I just don't think he'll go to a 5-3-2 and I don't think he'll play a like a like a a 3-4-3 three, three, or or 5-2-3 whatever you whatever you want to call it. Um so I think the midfield might keep him in a 4 is my is what I'm uh, thinking at the moment but that could change every hour, you know. What, what you know, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, because it's not the most attacking midfield three England could produce at the moment, is it? It's uh, Henderson, Rice, and then Bellingham is the most attacking. Um, exactly. When, it's very industrious. When you look at who England leave on the bench, uh, you know, it could be much more attacking. But um, yeah, the, the only thing is, I was looking at England's centre-back options and particularly thinking about going further in the tournament. Uh, the four centre-backs that are currently in Qatar are Harry Maguire, John Stones, Connor Cody and Eric Dyer. That doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence going forward. And like you say, you've got Carl Walker who potentially could play centre-back in a five. Um, do you feel any worries about England defensively if we're going to go far? I mean, it's kind of the beauty and mystery of tournament football, right? Because I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this uh, before. Look, we're, we're here sitting here talking about concerns about England's defensive records, and we've consor- we've conceded two goals all tournament, and they were both to, uh, well, essentially in the game state of that Iran game, it was like it was pointless anyway, and, and one was a very cheap penalty anyway, and then there was another which was a great finish from Taremi, but ultimately the game was was sewn up already um and yet here we are still talking about defensive concerns and it's a completely valid point partly due to the threat of the french like 
forward line and partly due to the the backups i mean imagine if you have an injury in, in center back you, you've got cody and dyer going in there which isn't filling anyone with too much confidence it, you know they've they've both performed i guess admirably would be the term i would use for them i think it's i don't think it's it'd it's be not a technical be, masterclass from either of them that's not what you're going to expect is it no no and in the league you don't see that but you see solid performances on the whole with errors in in there but then looking at stones and Maguire, we can't say that um they're completely not error prone <laughs> it's not quite <laughs> yeah worked. it is but a worry you see you see my point there right yeah it's it is i find it fascinating looking at the centre-backs that england have ended up with when you look at some of the ones that haven't played as well when you think of of ben white or tamori or even people like tarkovsky or mark gay yeah um there's a lot of players that you think could switch in, but for whatever reason, Southgate's uh, chosen these ones. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, Cody, he must be a barrel of laughs. I, I, I don't know. He, I, I do think he's got a great character, let's say. I think he is great for sort of probably squad harmony. I don't know that, but he seems to be a good egg, let's say. Um and that's kind of the label that's thrown around with a lot of these English, England players, and and that's that's great. I think ultimately, you know, Walker playing as the as the right centre back, if we were to change to a three, makes it it makes it you know it, it doesn't sound as bad as as it sounds mm. if you just list the pure out and out centre backs. Um, and the reality is, I can't see Cody and you know barring some some big injury crisis I can't see Cody or Dyer playing however that's kind of brings up the the centre-back issue in itself the fact that Maguire is basically totally unchallenged at this World Cup despite not playing for his club and when he was playing for his club being you know a laughing stock that's that was the reality of it it's harsh but that is the truth um and yet you've got someone like Fikayo Tomori left at home uh, and things. And, you know, even others, not just Fikayo Tomori, but, you know, Ben White, as you said, uh, obviously, you know, he had his reasons for having to go home, but he wasn't getting a look in anyway, let's be quite honest, uh, and wasn't going to. Now, we know Southgate trusts the players that he trusts, but how can you ever trust someone else if you don't play them to develop that trust, right, is the thing. But I don't want to be too negative on Southgate, to be quite honest with you which you might be surprised to hear me say. But ultimately, look, we're regularly going deeper into major knockout tournaments. And that's what it has to be judged off. And, that you know, that, that's the result he's, he's getting. You're, you're seeing Spain go out. You're seeing, I mean, Germany go out in the group stage. You're seeing um, all sorts of sort of, like, you know, upsets. Belgium go out early. We we can't be. We can be critical, but we must accept that you know they are doing a good job. But but what I was saying about tournament football before, you know, the fact that we've only conceded two and yet we're we're concerned about the defense. It's just you don't have a clue how good anyone is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you can't look too far ahead with with any of the teams either, because everyone is talking about Spain and Portugal being the semi-finals and. Uh, Spain go out today to Morocco, so um, it's yeah. it's easier than you think to to slip up. 
and also I think the Spain Morocco game is just a, is is an example of the team that everyone thought could basically obliterate a low block, right? Mm-hmm. Some teams yeah. are going to struggle to break teams down when they sit in, and and it's not a case that they're just sitting in and being negative. That they're being very well drilled and they're defending very well in their own, you know, sort of third and and half, and that's fantastic. That's fine. There's, there's you know, it's frustrating for sort if you're a fan of you know Spain watching them against Morocco today, or or, or whoever it, like whoever it is, it's frustrating. But it's not just. The cases where teams are just sitting back and showing no attempts to counter, or 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 having, you know, there is a clear structure. There's a well-drilled plan, and um, that's that, that's the strategy that's getting them through. It's not gonna. It, it, I can't see it taking teams to the to the end and and winning it. But if that's the, the best chance that certain teams have, then that's that's fine. But I've gone off off tangent a little bit there because what I mean to say is that. Spain with a team after that first 7-0 win you look at that and you think right well well how do you stop this team then because if you defend with a back five and you sort of and you are negative and you are compact and you, you just focus on one aspect of the game far more than the other they're still gonna just they've still got the technicians to break it down and yet out they go <laughs> yeah and you know like you say there are good things about Southgate uh I was thinking that uh, Harry Kane has probably been having his best tournament for England, I would say. It sounds kind of weird when you consider that he got the golden boot before, but I think he's playing better now than he was was then. He's being really involved in all of our attacks, and we're using Harry Kane like he should be used in um, creating chances as well as as getting in the box. Yeah, and that's and that's just shown in the way that goals are coming from all over the pitch. And he okay, he got his first, you know, but goals are coming from all over the pitch, and I'd I'd much rather have that, to be honest. Look, we know Harry Kane will score goals, and we know he is a lethal striker who can take chances. But the fact is that chances haven't really been dropping to him, but they've been dropping to people around him because of the way you know he's he he's he's dropped off the defenders and linked and and found people in behind. Um, yeah, and and that side of his game, it's been spoken about for a while, but it did really sort of sneak up, didn't it? Because he was a lethal finisher, putting up incredible numbers. I was calling him a one-season wonder for about five years <laughs> in a row. And then it seemed quite like, I, I don't know if it's just that we w- were all misdirected by the goals and he always had this passing range that we never saw. I, I didn't watch a huge amount of Spurs in like week in, week out. Um but I know it's not a new thing, his passing range, but it has kind of, it did sort of spring up like a, like a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, we're lucky we weren't doing podcasts back when Harry Kane was coming through. But Oh my uh, God, I'd be cancelled, I think. I'd be right. <laughs> um, but no, you look at uh, Ivan Tony at the moment, he's someone else that really can pass as well. But uh, if you're not watching I- Ivan Tony at the moment, you probably just think of him as, sort of a, a big man who's finishing chances for Brantford not not how technical he is yeah um, maybe this is like an evolution of the of the big of the big man you know of of them having to drop off to link play and because of that they're they're or, or because they're being hit as the initial out ball from when they've been soaking up pressure when they just won the ball turned it over you hit you know the striker as the out ball 
the big target player and then there has to be a a passing range if you're going to play a second fast you know essentially kind of a long ball as well if you think that you make it from sort of box or edge of the box where ball's been won straight up to the halfway line to hit your target man there's still a hell of a long way to go if you're going to break quickly and that's not going to be done by that mould of striker ball carrying, right? Um, so I suppose that evolution has had to sort of come in and is crucial, right? Um, how, how do you think this relates to uh, Giroud? I'm going to move on to Giroud because he's uh, getting a lot of headlines, became France's uh, top all-time goal scorer this week. Uh, where do you think he fits in with this uh, evolution of the big man? Well, maybe he's the trailblazer. I don't know. Uh I, Giroud is a is a fantastic player. He is. It's also crazy that he's the top scorer for France, and he went a whole World Cup without scoring for France. Because it's like a, it's a red herring of like you know if you're trying to work out what Giroud is, I think Giroud is actually sort of everything, apart from a, apart from a threat in behind. In, in terms of like a like a direct ball but he does make those runs don't get me wrong and he's intelligent in his movement but he doesn't have the sheer pace to just be you know peeling off behind behind centre backs and and bursting through um, I think it has to be a certain situation for that to be effective which it, it still can be but um, it's not just you know a, a main feature of his game but to focus on, on the things that I think he does do more I mean his link up especially at Arsenal is fantastic I think he can manoeuvre opposition centre halves very well, and he's like a he's like a wall, but he's like a springboard who can play and yeah, and, and there's no doubts that he can finish as well. I think I think he's yeah he's been a he's been a fine wine who's also just got better and better, probably because of the kind of game he can play. What what as a you know you thought you watched him a lot more than me. What what would you say or maybe of the evolution of Giroud? He really did have his moments for Arsenal and it's tricky because Arsenal have had such good strikers around him. And you think he was following on from Van Persie and then before Van Persie it was Henri. Um, and, you know, shortly after it was the Lacazette and Aubameyang era who both both had really great moments for Arsenal. Um, I think Giroud will always be remembered amongst Arsenal fans for the season when Leicester won the title um, because that was probably Giroud's worst season and if uh, um, if Arsenal had bought a better striker particularly even in January if they'd just bought another striker just to take some minutes away from Giroud um, you're probably looking at Arsenal having enough quality to to win the league over Leicester um, if you remember that season, that was when uh, Mesut Ozil um, really looked dead on to beat the uh, Premier League assist record by um, the, the you know the progress he'd made by Christmas. Um, he was well on course to beat it. A bit like as if in in a similar way to I mean it's an extreme version, but like Harland mm-hmm. now with the way that he's started, you know. And there there are some records that just look like yeah. they're going to be obliterated, and then they never do. Are you are you perchance claiming that? Giroud is to <laughs> well um, to blame sounds quite harsh but I think uh, so it got something like uh, it, it's 
it sounds crazy. It was something like 18 assists in the first half and like two or three in the second half. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was some massive, massive difference like that. Um, and Giroud, you would watch him and he would just, his finishing would not be good enough. I think he he had a really long goalless streak when he was Arsenal's only option at striker. Um yeah, I was, well, that was going to be my next question, was who was the backup and was it Yaya Sanogo? Uh, yeah, so the, the backup to Giroud was Yaya Sanogo. Um, Arsenal did also buy Danny Welbeck this season, who um, did pretty well. Yeah, okay. In terms of Giroud, I mean, how old is Giroud these days? 36. 36, and he's still just leading the line for the world champions. Yeah. That is incredible. That is yeah. incredible. I think I think you would say his technique has got a lot better, particularly with his finishing. Even his link-up play has improved since Arsenal. But maybe it's just uh, playing for France and having the players around him. Um, that Giroud just works a lot better, sort of playing off them than um, the players he had at Arsenal that season. I think also on the flip side as well, there's a lot of players in that France team that will enjoy playing off Giroud. Do you know, like Mbappe, I know he's previously spoken about enjoying playing with an out-and-out number nine, like a, a, a focal point in attack that you can link with. Um, and that's quite interesting because you would say, or most goal-scoring inside forwards or like out-to-in attack-the-box wingers um, who put up high numbers, I feel like they would like a number nine that often vacates that space. If you look at... Um, Salah driving into the space that Firmino sort of vacates by dropping in. Uh, if you look at, you know, and, and then maybe the early season struggles of him trying to do that with, with Nunes, um, and then Nunes getting pushed out to the left, that's a bit of a contrast. But I suppose Giroud does drop to then link and then allow a player like Mbappe to go kind of beyond him, at, at, like often as well. Not, not always, and there will be certain situations where, you know, that's not the case. But, um, yeah, I think I think if you're if you're a player like Mbappe, even like Griezmann, you've got a player that you can play forward into, who can hold onto the ball with their frame, and is actually intelligent in manoeuvring their body to be able to find you again and and things like that. Yeah, and I will say I've just looked at Giroud's stats for the Leicester season, and they're not as bad as it sticks out in the memory. There were some crucial games which Giroud did play. Paulian and they weren't that far behind Leicester so it, he, he could have made a difference um, but he he played every game in the Premier League and he scored 16 goals which um, is pretty good um, it's yeah but if you're reliant on that as your as your if you're winning a seat if you're looking to win a title and that's your only real source you can. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team fall short with that. Do you know what I mean? It's not a bad record, but it's also not setting the world alight, right? But he'll look back with a f- with what a decorated career. I think is the mm-hmm. big thing there. Yeah, he's won the the Champions League. He's won Syria, and he's won the the World Cup. So, well done to Giroud, and top scorer for France. I mean, imagine by like. Bypassing Thierry Henry, that's you know. Yeah, it feels feels weird to even know that fact, but 
yeah it doesn't feel true and i've heard it so many times in the past few days and it still doesn't feel true but fun nonetheless you know so it will be england versus france in the quarterfinals uh definitely going to be a massive game major test for england um i just want to talk about um england's shooting record uh so far this world cup because uh i've noticed in a few games we've talked about we've spoken about the uh the good that southgate has done but even winning 3-0 against senegal there were that 35 minutes in the first half where England were second best and Senegal were countering and actually having some chances. Um, And it does sort of feel like if England don't score, then they look shaky. And then as soon as that first goal goes in, they've been playing a lot better. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think also, right, the, the main... The main issues were coming from the build-up phase. I feel like the centre-backs were giving the ball away, trying to play through the Senegalese like off-the-ball structure. Maguire was caught a few times in those first 35 minutes. I think Maguire is a fragile player at the moment, and, and I, whereas, where I partly do admire Southgate for sticking with it, or sticking with him and trusting him, I feel like if those moments happen again, he, it's it's, it's not far off sort of like, um, self-destructing for, for Maguire himself. I think, you know, he's resilient for continuing to try and split players to play into the midfield and 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 play them where they can turn and then drive at the defence. Um, but against better quality opposition, it's going to cost you. And if we don't score, how does that mood set in in the whole team? Imagine the first half we don't score, and so I just feel like if that if that first half draws on, and he's looked shaky, and then how does that spread to the whole team? You know, um, I feel like the midfield was 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 industrious and good. Is there? I think it's I think it's harsh to maybe say that they're limited on the ball because they're not I don't think they are I think Rice is is you know good on the ball Bellingham clearly is Henderson probably isn't given the credit he he deserves for for his ability on the ball um but having said that I think if you're if if Maguire is struggling to break that line to play into them um against better opposition and if you don't score when you score, you're you're in trouble. In trouble, and I mean in trouble in terms of the mood and mindset of the team. Going, yeah, for sure. You know, continuing. Um, just talking about Rice, uh, there's a really interesting uh, pass map of uh, England against Senegal, uh, which basically has lots of passes from the back four and just Declan Rice in acres on his own in the middle of the pitch not really passing to anyone well I, I saw this as well and I think it's it was like we were we look you can dominate in wide areas by splitting your midfielders and having them go out to receive I think partly it was because I think we struggled to play through 
the Senegalese structure and I think players I think Bellingham and Henderson were you know sort of vacating that midfield space to come out wide to get on the ball because they could play to play around it rather than try and play through it but talking about England's um, build-up play uh, the the way England are generating shots uh, I found are really interesting or not the way they're generating shots but the amount of shots they're generating because against Senegal we won 3-0 looks really good um, you look at the stats and England scored three times from four shots on target uh, eight shots in the whole game and if you look at the Iran game as well where we scored six that was from seven shots on target uh, 13 shots in total so pretty much scoring from every second shot that we had uh, and then in the USA game England had three shots on target from eight shots um, so the amount of shots uh, compared to the amount of goals that England are scoring is possibly an area for worry uh, and kind of ties into how in that first 35 minutes against Senegal, England looked in trouble and then um, England did score and then were in control. Yeah, I think also that, that, that reflects on the goalkeepers that we've come up against as well though, right? And, mm. and it's odd because, look, Mendy, you would normally put him in that top bracket, but he hasn't been. You know, he hasn't been playing at the standard that he was when they won the Champions League when he first arrived. And, and you know, whatever the reason is for that, um, I, I don't know. But I don't. I think that's something that's quite clear. I think he's probably low on confidence with, I don't know, Kepa coming in and things. I, I, that's a bit of a, an assumption or something. But we're not seeing the same Edouard Mendy that we saw sort of earlier on when he first came in under Tuchel. Um, it's not the same Kepa either. Kepa's doing really good now. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. And and look, if, if there's one shirt to be won and, and you see your rival performing very well, look, some people are going to rise to it. Some people aren't. Uh, is might play on their mind a bit. I don't, I, I don't know. I've never been in a situation where you're fighting for one shirt. There's one role in the team, and it, it's it's huge pressure, right? Something we do know for sure is that of the three goals England scored, I think possibly on all of them, you could say he should be doing better. Uh, maybe I can't really I can't remember his positioning when Henderson's went in, but I mean the one Harry Kane's I've seen again, and and he's 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 guessed and gone down low to his near post, and it, it looks like anyway, or or he's going that way, and then he has to sort of bring his body back up right to try and because it's sort of lifted above into the corner over his shoulder as it goes across him. It's not brilliant goalkeeping is the long and short of it, um, whether I get the details on it exactly spot on. Um, I don't know a huge amount about Iran's goalkeeper. Well, it was the second choice, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. the first choice went off with the concussion. And they both play in the Persian Gulf Super League. Uh, make of that what you will. But yeah, um, so, you know, maybe there's also... Because it seems to be when 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 it's on target is going in at the moment, which is fantastic, but I don't think that's. I I I'd be skeptical to say that's because of elite level finishing every time it hits the, it it's on target. But it's kind of the beauty of the World Cup. It's the same with the, you don't know how good a team is ever really because, as soon as there's a real test, they could be out, and then if they go through, if a team goes through a real test. All of a sudden, that team's no longer 
oh, they couldn't have been as good as we thought they were, and it's not a real test. So it's kind of the same sort of thing with goalkeepers, I think, you know, in in, <laughs> in, in a way, in terms of this World Cup. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We don't really have the sample size, do you, with the, the length of a World Cup? Yeah, and it's so hard to gauge. And then if a team performs brilliantly in the first two, well, they change the whole team for the third game anyway. So they completely, you, you can't, yeah, yeah, it's it's very tough to 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 make judgments about anyone honestly it's tricky because you think like the nation's league would be a way to judge teams and then uh, as soon as they enter the atmosphere of a tournament things can just be totally different um yeah i was talking actually so my housemate doesn't watch much football which is brilliant to be honest because i can just it's 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 great to talk to him and that you know sometimes there's the simplest questions that you would never have considered because it's just how something's always been done. But anyway, he asked who won the Nations League, and, and I drew a complete blank. Could you tell me? Um, can I can I have a think? Hold on. You can have a think, think... And, and don't hey, I don't. I'm not asking for this to be cut or anything. I no, no, ge- no. genuinely, I don't know who won the Nations League. We'll we'll do this real time to see if I can think of it. Because I think <laughs> it's, it's um... so, we need a three hours later. Or something, <laughs> you know, didn't um. Didn't Portugal win it? Or they won? There's been two, hasn't there? Well, Netherlands played Portugal, and Portugal, I want to say, beat the Dutch the year before. I th- oh. Maybe two years ago or something? I was in a pub in Southampton, and it was the final, and I was watching it, and the pub was empty. Oh, really? That... And that's fine, but don't try and tell me it's too competitive. It is friendlies with the bit of rebranding and a bit of um, tournament qualification. Some sort of rewards and forfeits of relegation, but ultimately if it's it's not it's kind of like relegation without a consequence, it's kind of like winning without a consequence. Generally, if you're using it for qualification, you if you're doing well in it, you're probably already qualified anyway. Mm. But I think don't England drop down to a slightly harder seed or something because we got relegated does slightly harder mean we're playing like I don't know not San Marino and instead we'll play Andorra sorry for the disrespect but do you see what I'm trying to say there I'm I'm bored already um I've I looked (laughs) I looked up who who won by the way okay I I don't know I don't know okay you you have a guess you're right that it was Portugal two years ago Okay, I was, thinking and, and then, was there a and year in between, or was it every two years this Nations League now? Uh, two years. So Portugal won it before. I re- remember sitting in an empty pub and looking around and thinking, this isn't serious then, is it? And who was it, let's say... Let's say Germany. It was a final between France and Spain. Oh. Do you remember who won? I think it will be Spain. It was France. Oh, wow. You T- see, I'm T-1. French and I didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't remember hearing anything about this match. Honestly, I think we've gone on about it for too long already and that's fine. Um, but <laughs> I think it's had far more coverage than it needs, especially during a World Cup. But <laughs> our point was, how do you create artificial friendly, uh, artificial competitive games? You Even when you do... 
you don't really. So the sample size of a World Cup is fascinatingly small. Right, so back to the World Cup. We saw penalties today between Spain and Morocco. Uh, Morocco going through on penalties. Uh, Just 24 hours earlier, we had penalties between Japan and Croatia. And Croatia went through in that one. And uh, just one thing I noticed, because these were both like really interesting penalty shootouts, I thought like there was a lot of... Spain and Morocco, there was a lot of drama. And with Japan... uh, they missed their first two penalties. And then it's quite an awkward situation where uh, a team goes 2-0 up in the penalty shootout and you think, well, that's basically it over. And then within a couple of minutes, it is over. It was pretty anticlimactic. But um, yeah, one thing I noticed is that a lot of players are doing this slow run-up for their penalties, um, kind of like what you would see uh, Jorginho do. But... Um, when you've got someone that is as good a penalty taker as Jorginho, they're um, like an expert at doing their run so that by the time that they get to the ball, just like the way that they're taking their steps is that they're, they're timing it so that the keeper dives and then they can put it the other way. Um, but with these penalty shootouts, you get players that aren't really uh, designated penalty takers that are also trying to be really cool and do these slow run-ups. And the amount of really tame penalties I've seen in the last two days. It's just been crazy. I mean, this is such like a a classic old man discussion. Absolutely. I completely understand what you're saying. I, I think you can't... Look, it's the best strategy if you're a regular taker, I think is, is the best way to do it. Waiting, 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 sitting the keeper down, finishing is perfect in theory, right? It's It's the perfect way to do it. I'm fully on board with it. It's. I don't think it's fair, especially with the hop. I don't think it's fair because I think you're changing your uh, the direction of movement. You go from towards the ball to then up to then striking the ball, especially with the hop. And I don't think that's fair, <laughs> to be quite honest, in the same <laughs> no, way that I you can't mean. move towards the ball, stop, and then continue, you're, you're basically stopping if you're just moving in a different direction, hence jumping. Um, so first of all, I don't think that's fair. Second off, um, yes, completely agree. Uh, I think it's foolish to be doing it if you're not taking penalties regularly. I know you can say, oh, but I practice this technique all the time in training. Don't, I don't think it's the same. I don't know that because I've never taken a World Cup with, um, I don't know, 40,000 Moroccan fans whistling at me, but I can imagine it's not the same as in training. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I don't understand it. I understand it in theory, but it's one of those where I think if you're not comfortable, if you've not been doing it a lot, don't start doing it. And it's clever, but it's not actually effective, right? If you're if you're not used to taking them and you're and you're not doing that a lot, yeah, because well, it's interesting with these penalties because they're not quite achieving the sort of sending the keeper the wrong way and then kicking it. Uh, it's like it's like they it feels like they've just decided to on the spot be super casual about it and they've just ended up side footing it. Um, this happened with Minamino and Mitoma, who are both players that we like, but. Um, the Croatia player did it as well, uh, Marco Luvaya, he's called, and uh, he, he was he was insanely casual about it, and the keeper had it covered anyway. 
But also, I think there's a difference between the casualness and... I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I think there might be a, dif- a difference between the casualness yeah, yeah. and the looking to send, right? Yeah. I think the casualness is like a mindset way of dealing with the pressure. I think the looking to send... Because the guy, okay, the the Croatian guy who's, who's who takes the pen casually, he strikes the ball cleanly and and powerfully. It's not that fast. Okay, like, okay. He strikes okay. it well, but I, compared to just running at it and putting your laces through it, like someone from the nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I understand. Okay, okay. But my, I guess what I'm saying then is that I think there's a lot of tame penalties that we've been seeing that have just been tame because they're waiting. They need to send the keeper, and now the keeper's not moved, and now they're in a position where they need to strike a ball, but with without enough backlift, without enough of a stride to hit through it, and it just looks like they're just scuffing balls at, at keepers who are just being smart and waiting. Yeah. Also, I've do you know how infuriating it was after I've watched Minamino crash penalties into top corners <laughs> for Liverpool after? They had, um, you know, League Cup run where he was playing all the time and we, we went and won it. FA Cup run, you know, he would be in the rotation and, and, and we'd be grinding out results against poor teams and going through on penalties at times and stuff. But, like, I've seen him crash penalties in and he's now changing his technique and doing that. A bit fuming, to be honest. The other thing I wanted to say on penalties, the refs go and speak to both keepers for a long time. At the start of the shootout, okay? They're basically saying we could pull you back for coming off your line at any point. Like, like if we check, like, you know what I mean? I think he's basically saying, look, it's always going to get checked. So having, despite seeing penalties, I'm pretty sure keeps have been off their line for any, like anyway in the tournament. But I think on the shootout, I think they're probably going to be hypercritical for it, right? And I think he's just saying that. Now, what that does, he does that when the player for the first um, the first penalty taker has already grabbed the ball and gone to the spot, right? Because ref and penalty taker go into the penalty box. Ref has a conversation with both keepers, reiterates it, takes a while over it. And that's going to be playing with the penalty taker's mind this whole time. And I'm just fascinated and I can't wait for after the tournament. I want to see the number of first penalties missed and see if there's anything in that, Okay. But that's I'm I'm interested to see more shootouts to see how that develops. Keep an eye out for it, Sam. That's what I'm saying. Hot tip. That's my hot tip. Uh, okay, so the the last game of the round sixteen is uh, Portugal against Switzerland. Uh, the the latest score is five one to Portugal. Uh, the big news from this is that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has been dropped. Is that right? He's been chosen not to start. There's no. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Allegedly, allegedly, he told the manager to shut up or something like that or or vented some words in his direction after being subbed in a total dead rubber where they'd already qualified, which is just the most Ronaldo, you know, this is the villain arc Ronaldo (laughs) thing ever. And I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, Loving it because... Not not admiring it, I'd like to throw that in there, but loving it. The the sort of the ego that got him to the top also <laughs> You had a, 
he went really uh he went really bitter on Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> the most excited I've been this whole time is to talk smack about Ronaldo. <laughs> but witnessing the downfall is... I'm sorry, I just sound like a hater, but it's a beautiful thing, Sam. Um, yeah, he, he, he didn't take being subbed in a dead rubber well at all. Said some things to the coach, apparently. Also hasn't been playing very well, can we also throw it out there? Right. He's not exactly a bagsman unless the ball's stationary and on a penalty spot. And Gonzalo Ramos, who's come in from the 21-year-old from Benfica, has scored a hat-trick. And I just think that is marvellous. There's been rumours as well that he's agreed a contract with Al Nasser. Uh, yeah, so I saw that. We've obviously got ties of Al Nasser as well, Sam. Um, they're our, our favourite Saudi team. Yeah. To the uh, Al Nasser fans listening. Yeah. Khalid Al Gamdi. Yeah. Was yes, a, a, f- a legend on, I don't know, FIFA 14 or something. A so. marauding right wing back uh, who just, I'd like to say actually, you know, was responsible for reinventing the fullback uh, role. <laughs> but it, you'd have to say it's a step down for Ronaldo from Manchester United. I think uh, that is, I think you might be being harsh there, Sam. <laughs> uh, I think you are disrespecting the league and Al Nasser themselves, but. I suppose there is a strong claim that it could be a step down. Interesting for a guy who's come out in an interview and spoken about still needing to play at the highest level, still wanting to play Champions League, you know, still having it, still being the best. Signing for Al Nasser. Look, I love the club, but I can't help but wonder. It's uh, it's an end of an era, isn't it, for Ronaldo? Yeah, it's also been... You know, look, how on a serious note, because <clears throat> I am just poking fun at the situation, but on a serious note, it is fascinating to see someone whose ego has got them to the top and also watch it destroy their record by just not being able to have any sort of shred of humility and, and, and being humble, you know, there's no, and, and I understand that. And I understand that, look, he's the most followed guy, followed guy on social media. He's like, he is like a a god in a way, right? He is. That's the, that's the, the statue we're talking about here. If you, you know, in a hundred years time, you look back and you just found all these photos and all these shirts with his name on and everything. You know what I mean? If you could just see it all, you'd be like, well, and football no longer existed. You'd just be like, who is this guy? Like, what is the, the, the cult mass of, of followers and things? Um that's the reality of, of the status he's at, but it's a long way to fall down. And I think it's interesting uh, when you look at the numbers that he got last season for Manchester United and some of the discussions around him being someone that was dragging United through and then to compare both his performances and United performance and United's performances this season. Um, it kind of points to a little bit of results-based thinking last year. Maybe the decline had already started in in his playing ability. Yeah, I mean, look, he's old, it's normal, and it's going to be tough for him to accept, I suppose, and, and you know, fanatics to accept. His record was good, though. If he could just accept the fact that he'd be a bit part player who'd have crucial big moments off the bench, there'd be no issues whatsoever. He'd be a, he'd be a great asset, right? Despite the fact you're paying him 
upwards of like 400 grand a week or whatever it is right if you look we can write that off because ultimately they can afford it but if he could accept the fact that he's not going to start games the team doesn't revolve around him he's not the be all and end all but he will have games where he's needed to play and if he can fit into the structure he'd be like a huge asset off the bench off or wherever needed if he was this humble person who could put the the club of Manchester United and the team first it'd be you know he could keep going because he obviously even if it's results based he still put up those numbers i mean we spoke about Giroud scoring 16 um, and it not being too bad in a you know as the main source of goals. If you had another source of goals and you had Ronaldo chipping in with with solid numbers and hitting double digits, you'd you'd be you'd be you'd be very happy with that. And just to bring it back to Giroud, Ronaldo is actually only a year older than Giroud. Um, it's weird to see how their trajectories are going at the moment. Well, um, yeah, there you go. What a nice parallel to draw to end on, hey. Yep. Well, I think that's about it for this week. I think it is. I think it is. It's been lovely to talk to you, Sam. Um, oh, let me talk to you as well. We'll be back for the uh, quarterfinals of the World Cup. Yep. I've got an internal dilemma to work out. Lots of people have been asking me who I'll be supporting. Who knows? <laughs> okay, is that is that your answer? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's my ending. That's my closing line is who knows. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see if you decide whether you want to support France or England uh, next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. I should hit stop, shouldn't I? I enjoyed that.